I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. given up on qualitative ratings like out of five stars mm, dude because mm, uh yeah no, i don't know I, oh, people, no. people do that on on oh, letterbox no. and they swear by the star ratings and it just stresses wow. me out too much man i'm too worried that i'm gonna give a movie that i like three and a half stars oh, when a movie that i like even better i only oh, gave three no, stars god to, the you know? riff masters at it no, again that's it man i'm 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 worried that i'm gonna just end up misrepresenting my opinions oh here, no you know? and that you're gonna hurt this other movie's yeah, feelings exactly <laughs> Or just just that I'm going to be in, in my internal logic is going to be off. And then people are going to be like, uh, what the fuck does he know? You know, <laughs> you know, uh, that's how it is. Everybody's know, descended yeah. like what you gave friggin Die Hard two, three stars, but you gave Die Hard with a vengeance two and a half. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, oh, yeah. do people get into those types of uh, disagreements on Letterboxd? I don't know if they do on Letterboxd. It seems like actually. a much more agreeable wholesome film social community it just well it seems incredibly wholesome compared to any other form of social media right and at this point i'm like this is the only social media i want just like other people saying what movies they're watching and writing goofy little miniature reviews it's the best i think also the fact that they don't really allow, allow for replies yeah i mean you can post comments to a review down at the bottom that's but, true no i don't i really don't ever see anyone being nasty on there yeah yeah no reason to mm-hmm. don't make it ugly keep it yeah. christian keep it christian y'all 
how how long before you think letterboxd reviews end up popping up on stuff like no. legitimate oh. legitimate criticism oh, you know legitimate that's such a great critic reviews a, yeah that's a great question i think within the next five years possibly i i can and see it, man. also i i my question now is whose review is it going to be there's some fairly well-known film critics on Letterbox. I assume it will be them, but wouldn't it be funny if it was just like baby four heart two, nine, two, nine. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. And the review is just popped a chubby to this, you know, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> Cause that's most, most Letterbox reviews. Like the really popular ones are short, pithy and extremely thirsty. <laughs> yep. That yep. is the formula. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You might be right about that. So Ooh, gosh. But that's that's what we need to know. That's that's what we need on the slipcover of the new Safety Brothers movie is to just have it. Letterbox fucking, gives it five stars. Just have it vandalized by some review from some nameless person on Letterbox. That's that's another thing, man. The fact that like quality movies, man, A24 movies that have these beautifully designed posters will have a fucking Rotten Tomatoes fresh icon, not as a sticker, literally printed onto the, the Blu-ray slipcover mm -hmm. and onto the Blu-ray art itself so that you cannot remove it. Mm -hmm. That is just, oh, it's disgusting. It, Are it, you going to start a petition about this? Upsets me so much, man. I can I tell. I tell you. I can tell. There's change.org. I believe yeah. that's a, uh, it's a petition site start one of those there yeah absolutely i'll get on change.org mm -hmm. be like yeah never mind about this human trafficking stuff right. you gotta get on this Let's rotten talk about tomato these movie posters thing. here yeah just make it a removable sticker for god's sake Oof. i'm gonna write some letters talk with the manager alex oh yeah you gotta write a strongly worded letter oh, of course you do <laughs> of course you do we getting into this all right yeah man do it Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Goat Season. We're so happy to have you with us. So happy. Oh my God. We are ecstatic listeners. I know Alex you decided sounded... to join in. Exactly. This I... communal experience. Alex was a little bit angry earlier, but he's all right right now. He's doing good. He's fine. We've cool. moved past it. 20 seconds. I can get over it. You know? I know. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a podcast about the greatest individual seasons of television of all time. Their most memorable episodes and their creative teams, both in front of and behind the camera. I'm your co-host, Phil Mitchell. And along with me is the one and only the sun sets and rises on him at the same time. Mr. Alex Sinesi. Good to see you, man. <laughs> What's up, bro? Defy the laws of physics, huh? Mm -hmm. I'm uh, I'm dual hemispherical. There you go. There you go. I like that. So did you know that... Um, in the many saints of Newark, because we were talking about this last time. Did you know oh, yeah. who was cast as Tony's father? Tony's father. Yeah. No. Bernthal. Oh, it's friggin' John Bernthal. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Vera Faminga is going to be uh, Livia. Really? Yeah. Oh, wow. That's, some that's awesome casting. dude. That's perfect. Yeah. I remember seeing her in a few episodes of Bates Motel and I was like, man, she is off the chain in this. I never watched that show. I'm it's sure she's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Pretty good show. She's so good, man. Yeah. Ugh. Underrated. Underappreciated. Wish she was in more stuff. Seriously. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think the last thing I saw her in was uh freaking Godzilla King of Monsters. And uh 
Yeah, I mean, that just didn't work out for anybody, dude. No, it did not. No. (laughs) Fair Famica, we love you. We hope to see you in more stuff. Stay away from the kaiju, though. Seriously. Agreed. (laughs) You're allergic. They're not good for you. That would be so funny. It's like, uh, oh, yeah, you know, I love Godzilla. I love hanging out with him, but I just break out in hives when I get too close, you know? Uh, Ooh, just, if just, he's shedding, like, forget about it. My eyes will get all puffy, you know? Get yeah. the stress eczema. It's that, terrible. Uh, yeah, yeah, that kaiju allergy, man. It's just sad, you know, because people just want to love him. They you do. Know? Yeah. So today we're talking about the eighth episode of season one of The Sopranos, The Legend of Tennessee Moltisanti. It's yes. a great episode. I really enjoyed watching this one earlier today. It's a, a good one. Truly great episode. Yeah. Yes. There's a absolutely. lot of good writing and a lot of good acting in this episode and good directing. Yeah. If you were going to sum up this episode in maybe the strength of this episode in like one sentence, what would you say? The show takes one of its best assets that has been somewhat underused to this point, which is Michael Imperioli Mm -hmm. and the character of Christopher Moltisante and finally gives him an episode where he he gets to just like fully come into his own. Mm -hmm. They they really just let him run in this one. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's great. So the episode itself is another one in the series of one offs that we've got going on. So the previous episode. Um, focus a lot on AJ. This episode focuses specifically on Christopher, the inner life's, excuse me, the inner life of the would-be artist, Mr. Christopher Moltisanti. But at the same time, it also is continuing more of the mm-hmm. overarching plot threads yep. than the other standalones. It's a You're really right. good balance yeah. in that sense. And also Christopher is just a character who really needed that extra spotlight. And where the other standalone episodes, it more feels like they're experimenting. They're seeing, oh, what can we make hay out of for mm-hmm. an episode? This one feels like, oh, yeah, we there is so much material that mm-hmm. we just need to get to here. It feels like they're returning back to the core, like the meat of the show, which is the mafia stuff. Everything yeah. else feels like it has been maybe um, an exploration into one-offs or characters that perhaps were on the edges of the story. And this feels like you're returning back into the middle of what's going on with Polly, um, what's going on with Big Pussy, what's going on with Christopher. And I really enjoyed that. I liked it quite a bit. Christopher basically represents an archetype, in my opinion, of golden age of television characters that mm-hmm. gets repeated a lot after this, which yeah. is essentially the son, the heir that the main character chooses as opposed to his biological heir, Mm -hmm. who tends also to be kind of a bad seed, loose cannon fuck Mm -hmm. up. Uh, The two most obvious examples that jump right to mind are Jesse Pinkman and the relationship between him and Walt, as opposed to Walt and Walt Jr. Mm -hmm. And the other being Shane, Shane Vendrell from The Shield. Yeah. Yeah. But I think Christopher is clearly the blueprint for all of these characters. He's such a loose cannon. He's so obviously a poor fit in terms of someone to leave your legacy on, someone to entrust any part of it on. And yet he really is the only logical choice. All the other guys are at least, uh, I mean, the rest of the crew is older than Tony, actually. Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. He is the one guy that you see being the next generation waiting to take the reins. Right. And uh, yeah, he's just a total fuck up. He's just not prepared. 
I mean, like, you've got you've to think, Tony knows this, and I think he's never really talked about it before. Clearly, like this is something that hasn't been discussed overtly, but it's just been, it's so well depicted over the past seven episodes that this guy doesn't have anyone to leave his legacy to. There's no one that's going to be able to carry on with the business. There's no one that's going to be able to sort of like lead the new generation, uh, the young, the new crop of, of mafiosos moving forward. It made me think a lot about how Tony felt about coming in at, at the end of everything. Mm-hmm. And the idea that, you know, these older mafioso types have someone that they can leave things to. And he won't have anyone who's going to be able to carry on either his name um, well, AJ will be able to do that, but it's kind of like he's not going to be in, barely, just barely. Like the kids just he's not taken by. out in some Darwin Awards type yeah, manner. Exactly. Yeah. And so it's just kind of like he he knows that at the end of the day, when he is laid to rest, who knows what's going to happen to uh, the work that he leaves behind that he did for himself. Right. Right. I will say on a more personal note, the first time I was watching this show when I was much younger, much more naive, I related to Christopher a lot. I think just being a young Italian guy who didn't feel very plugged into my culture, but at the same time, through my extended family, at least had some some sense of cultural identity with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, Michael Imperioli, he, he looks so ethnically Italian. I think when I was younger, I was like, oh man, I wish I looked more like him. I wish I looked more obviously Italian because mm-hmm. he just, he, he, his identity is so clearly like it's just so evident in him and also in the way that he carries himself and the way that he talks it's just all comes through so strong and uh the fact that he's also a writer a screenwriter i mean i've aspired to write my entire life and as soon as i saw that in this episode too i was just like oh man this this really is like my character i related (laughs) to him so much and uh never really Well, you know, I mean, the first time I saw the show, I was maybe like 15, 16. And so I don't think I fully understood that the show was saying, no, this guy is an absolute like dead end. He is Mm -hmm. a disaster. Mm -hmm. It's only going to get so much worse with him. He just becomes hopeless as the Mm -hmm. show goes on. I think that was a slow dawning realization for me. I was so wrapped up and kind of like rooting for him because I identified with him and thinking, oh yeah, he's going to take the reins and he's going to be the successor to Tony's whole business. And he's going to be this cool mobster. And it's like, the show is not doing that at all. No, but uh, no. you know, from my own personal perspective, I, I became very invested in him. It's yeah. hard not to like, you kind of want to, yeah. I, I, I can see as a younger person rooting for this guy he might be a stand-in for millennials in a way. Like, I don't think he was written sure. in this way, but he definitely can be read that way now. Mm-hmm. A younger person wanting to move up, wanting to get ahead, and being stymied at every turn by a group of older people who are closing the door, closing the doors on him or telling him just to wait and kind of be patient. Sure. And also, like, his particular brand of machismo is so self-reflexive he's already standing outside of the 
cool gangster ideal a little bit and and being self-critical of it. You get the impression he's never going to quite swallow all of this shit in the same way that, that these old guys who have been mm-hmm. in the life forever would. He's he's not ever going to be like Polly, who just does not analyze any of this, who right. is never at a moment of you know soul searching in his whole life right. as we see in their scene together, which is so good. Such a good scene. Yeah. I think when he asks, where's my arc? Mm-hmm. That might just be like the thesis statement for the the character, like the entire way through, because I think that's what it is that he's searching for. Yeah. And he can never quite find it in between of like all of the fuck ups that he does throughout the series. Sure, sure. Or like in the bakery when he asks this kid, do I look like a pussy to you? Mm. And he's like, no, no, be honest. I won't get mad. <laughs> and mm. the kid's like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> right. But I think there really is an, an honest question there in yeah. that he, he is having all of this doubt about his identity. He He's not just fueled by this blind self-confidence. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a much more introspective character than that. Mm-hmm. And it's not good for him being a gangster. It's not. And yeah. it's also, I wish... I wish Christopher would go see a therapist because he's so close. Yeah. He's so close. He's on the verge of like some personal insights and could probably benefit from seeing someone who would help him get across that threshold. But man, there's like, there's the machismo that's in the way. Like there's that scene where he and Tony are in the car and Tony's like, Hey, you know, you think you're depressed or anxious. And he's just like, no, that's not possible. I forget the exact words that he says. He says, I'm not a, what did he say? I'm not, I'm not a, a mental, mental midget. midget. Is yep, the word. There we go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And he just shuts that door. And it's just kind of like, man, if only you explored that a little bit more, you could be a better version of yourself. And Tony really is trying to psychoanalyze. Yeah. Him. It's mm-hmm. amazing how he's taken, he's mm-hmm. absorbed the um, methods of therapy and is like, Oh yeah, I can practice this now <laughs> on my friends. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, he's trying. Yeah. He's trying. Yeah, that's such a fantastic scene. In the There's car, so many man. good ones. So many I, good ones in this episode. The end of it especially struck me when uh, Tony asks him about suicide and they mm-hmm. both laugh it off. And yeah. uh, it's so clear that Christopher has, has considered yeah. it. Mm-hmm. And Tony too, probably. Yep. And just that really dark look on Tony's face as he's looking at him at, in the last shot. Oof. Yeah, it hits. It's hits hard. It's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. So I guess, yeah, uh, just the overall episode itself starts off um, with the wedding of Larry Boy's daughter. Before that, even before that, that, man, that dream sequence. Oh, yeah, you're right, man. I almost I I don't. hmm. Oh, it's so awesome. It's so good. I just want to talk about that separately. All right. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, We'll come back to that. Yeah. Yeah, So they start off at the wedding. Junior is giving orders. Not really. He's trying to give orders about what to do with these like incoming Fed indictments. Junior's (laughs) the look on his face when the guy asks, Tony, what do you think we should do? And Junior's like, wait, I'm here. I'm standing right here. Such a good moment. And Tony has to make the suggestion pretending mm-hmm. that he's not giving orders mm-hmm. and Junior just backs him up. Yep. And it's so telling in the next shot, Tony walks away and all of the capos follow yep. him. Yeah. We're done here. They all follow mm-hmm. after him, man. Oh, yeah. such a good moment. The guys are trying to decide whether or not they're going to go underground. Meanwhile, Christopher, again, he can't get any respect. Um, and the most egregious just insult is when the local news refers to the recently deceased Brendan Filoni as a Soprano family associate. And he is so upset by this 
He cannot tolerate it. He is so palpably jealous of his friend who got shot through the eyeball naked in his bathtub and is now very dead. You know, (laughs) this guy whose brains are no longer inside of his fucking skull cavity is an object of seething jealousy to Christopher just because of the retroactive posthumous respect paid to him on a local news segment. I mean, that guy's got big dreams. Wild. Yeah, yeah. right. Exactly. It's sad, though, when you th- it's funny and sad at it the same sad. time. Right. Yeah. It's funny because like, are you kidding me? And then mm-hmm. it's sad because like, man, that's what it is that you want out of your life. Yeah. And so that that hits hard multiple times throughout the episode. At the same time that this is going on again. Yeah. Christopher is struggling with his identity. He decides to take out his frustrations on the local bakery boy, shoots him through the foot. It's all types, again, of funny and sad. And he gets, a, he gets some, some good conversations, some good advice. Actually, it's terrible advice from Pauly and some <laughs> decent advice from Tony, right? It's decent <laughs> advice from Tony. And Pauly, Pauly just gives him the ABCs of just kind of like, I don't know what's going on here. Yeah, it's, it's just nothing. Pauly gives him the perfect advice for being a gangster, keeping your head down, and just like not bothering with any shit. Being a worker. Yeah, which works for Polly because mm-hmm. he does not concern himself right. with these weightier issues at no, all. Guys are um, not concerned at all. Yeah. He gives him very good advice for being like a functional cog in the machine. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh man uh, I love it. he has so many good lines just like little things thrown out he says that writer with the bullfights yes his own fucking head off right? <laughs> it's like yo that's Ernest Hemingway man but he's like it's a dangerous profession you're getting into here Chrissy right. man, you might just even blow put, your own head off <laughs> I did not even put those two together he's thinking about being a writer in terms of it being a dangerous profession mm-hmm. yeah that is rich. not realizing that he himself is in physical peril at any given moment. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you, Polly Walnuts, for that instant. (laughs) I love that guy. He's amazing. He's the best. It it really is a a pretty dramatic scene for him, though. You can can see they're they're giving him a lot more to work with as an actor Mm -hmm. and uh, being like, oh, yeah, this this guy can take on a lot more than we ever even expected. It's going to come into play later Mm -hmm. in the season. That's Sirico's backstory, right? We talked about that before. Years so, in the yeah. army, mm-hmm. years in the can. Yep. That's that's him. They're writing to the guy. Absolutely. So after Christopher gets that great advice from both Tony and uh, Polly, this moves over to uh, Melfi and her family. We So we get to see her family, her, her, her immediate family. So we see her parents, her mm-hmm. son, who has this odd resemblance to a Bill Hader. And, uh, a little bit. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of weird. <laughs> and her ex-husband. Um, and they have a really interesting discussion about Italian-American identity um, and the relationship that it has with the mafia. And at the same time, uh, the Sopranos, uh, Tony and his immediate family, have a similar conversation. Um, And this is right after Tony's house gets raided by the feds. Yeah, all of these conversations are great. The scene with the feds is fantastic. Um, When Tony does see Melfi, that uh, session, it ends so ugly, right? Oh, the call girl scene? Yeah, that is... That's brutal. And I I think it really does cause Melfi to think about uh, the question that she has been asked multiple times, which is, why do you have this guy as a patient? What are you doing? And as she's thinking about this... Livia, the grandmaster of the mall, the one to rule the mall, just straight up. She doesn't even hesitate. She discharges 
that shotgun that she's got with the knowledge that Tony is seeing a psychiatrist. She just unloads that onto Junior and she starts to set things into motion because that is what boss bitches do. Great, in the middle of a set from the most amazing, terrible stand-up yeah. comedian oh you'll ever see. Oof. That was that is some spicy comedy that that guy's throwing out there. That guy is just pushing boundaries. He's taking comedy to the next level. Just just the tone of the whole thing, how how grotesque mm-hmm. this situation is, mm-hmm. where the real moves are being made within the organization is yeah. priceless. But that, and that tends to be like a theme, right? So do your business at at a very innocuous place. Yeah. At a retirement home. Yeah. A doctor's office. A doctor's office. They do that a lot mm-hmm. in the coming seasons. What do you think about Imperioli's performance? I thought he's fantastic, man. Mm-hmm. I, I think he's been great the whole way through. Uh, I think his sense of comedic timing has been really sharp from the start. Mm-hmm. But uh, this episode gives him a lot more chances to really dig into the pathos of the character. I mean, we can get into his backstory a bit. He is a prolific stage actor. And that, that seems like that's one of his, his first loves. But uh, yeah, I mean extremely memorable small mm-hmm. role the yep. spider and goodfellas yep. directly referenced a couple times in this episode of course mm-hmm. you got the kid getting shot in the foot and he says yep. it happens yep then when frank sinatra the cake song starts playing yeah right before the end right. credits the mm-hmm. last moment you see christopher it says and the spiders and flies get yep. along together mm-hmm. yeah it's so, a good little easter egg there but yeah Great movie I mean, that uh goodfellows isn't it Goodfellas is a great movie. Goodfellas is a wonderful masterpiece theater miniseries. Absolutely. That show. I have the first two seasons on DVD. I just saw the Poison Crumpet episode again, man. It's fucking heartbreaking, dude. God. (sighs) I mean, when the entire kitchen staff just collapses and the one the one little bakery girl runs in at the end to find all of her friends dead on the floor. It is just heartbreaking man oh god weeping into her tea cozy man that had me shook for days no but after goodfellas he had like i think like a couple of small like small roles that's what we're thinking he did some tv work uh a few more films some spike lee movies a couple spike lee movies and uh after that through most of the 90s he had written uh the script for this movie summer of sam right which he was trying to direct himself and he said basically he could never get the funding or get it off the ground mm-hmm. with himself attached as director and so he ended up giving it to spike which uh yeah uh summer of sam not a good movie but uh <laughs> i mean i don't know i mean i feel like a plot dense serial killer mystery is not a good not a good lane for Spike, yeah. you know? Do you think that they're writing to Imperioli through some of this? Because in some ways it's kind of similar, right? Christopher wants to break into the movie business, wants to establish himself as a writer. And early on in Imperioli's career, like he's doing the exact same thing, right? Like he's trying to get into the movie business. He's trying to establish himself um, as a writer, as a, as a director. I assume that that's probably something that he would have wanted only because after the Sopranos, he's able to really do some of these things. In fact, he's he's kind of quite the the Renaissance man. Um, like he acts, he directs, he fundraises for for like jazz. Like yeah, like this guy, he he's doing it all. I mean, so I, I do wonder if in some ways the character of Christopher is informed by Imperial. He's like early years as a struggling actor. 
Yeah, I, I could see it the same way we were talking about, uh, you know, Polly's backstory mm-hmm. getting incorporated. I, I think Chase was doing that a lot with uh, all of the characters on the show. Oh, so this episode was uh, directed by Tim Van Patten. It was his first oh, episode. Yeah. Okay. He would go on to direct 20 episodes of the show in total. That's more than oh. anybody else. I think he does a fantastic job here too, I man. love this. I love the directing in this episode. It's so smooth. Mm-hmm. It's so focused in on performance uh it's a lot of nice two shots where you have Mm -hmm. both actors in the frame talking and reacting in real time it's really great for that and you got some really cool shots too like uh that shot of tony right after uh melfi's ex labels him evil Mm -hmm. and you have this awesome steady cam shot sweeping past him with the train behind him it's one of the coolest shots of tony soprano in the entire series i'd say Mm mm-hmm what else yeah. did he get into, Van Patten? He had started on, um, he did Homicide Life on the Street and mm-hmm. New York Undercover, like other episode directors on the show. Ah, uh, yeah. Um, he also did 31 episodes of Touched by an Angel, which just seems wow. like a wild fit That's to a, me. That is a wide departure. Yeah. Thematically. Yeah. You look at the stuff he does after this too, and there was no more angel touching. Like, <laughs> right. for, like after this, he does The Wire, Rome, The Pacific, Game, Game of, Thrones, of Thrones, and 18 episodes of Boardwalk Empire. It's also the the first episode to be. Uh, it's the first episode that has Phil Abraham as the director of photography. He okay. uh, started out as a camera operator on the pilot. Yeah, he shot a ton of The Sopranos. He made his TV directing debut on The Sopranos in uh, season four and uh, has gone on to be a regular director on a bunch of shows. Mm. Uh, Directed a ton of Mad Men. Oh, that's right. That's where I recognize his name. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I think the first episode he directed for them was The Hobo Code, which Mm. had uh, Paul Schultz in it. Ah, yes, Father Phil. That's right. Yeah, yeah. What do you think's popping in this episode? There's there's so much. Yeah. (laughs) So much. The lines in this episode, dude, ah, as so many that have just been stuck in my head since I first watched this almost 20 years ago. Big pussy talking about uh, Christopher's dream saying, uh, why the fuck would this guy want to help you considering you put a moonroof in the back of his head? Right. Uh, so good. So good. The, the bakery scene, dude, mm-hmm. that just to get to it, that's my favorite scene of the episode. I, yeah. I have to imagine it's yours too. Like it. it, it. It might be because I think I actually wrote down what my favorite scene. Oh, wow. See, oof. You got a different one. I had a different one. Okay. Okay. We're, I'll just get into it then. The yeah, bakery go ahead. scene, the bakery scene is one of my favorite scenes from the entire show. It's hilarious. It's mm-hmm. pathetic. The danger that this kid comes under is mm-hmm. so disproportionate to mm-hmm. what's going on. Just you know? takes it to 11 immediately. He takes it so far. Over some and that cannoli. kid, Brian Garrity. He's done some great stuff since I've followed his career a little bit. He's incredible in the Hurt Locker. Yeah. And then after seeing that to go back and be like, oh, shit, he's the kid in the bakery who gets right. his toe blown off. That's <laughs> right. amazing. Yeah. I was thinking some of the stuff that really stands out. I think the directing is great. I love yeah. the way that Van Patten moves the camera. A lot of dollies in, a lot of the camera movement. Um, and I think, yeah, he, he really gives like a sense of space throughout each of the scenes. Like you really get a sense that you're either moving in or you're moving away from the characters. And you just, yeah, you feel like you're there. You get a great sense of the geography of Mm -hmm. every single location they're in, Mm -hmm. for sure. Absolutely. I think that's great. I think the acting is top notch. I don't think there's a weak performance 
in this episode. Everyone, I think, is just firing on all cylinders, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I will say, so I had brought this up in an earlier episode, but uh, I do still think it's kind of odd that Lorraine Bracco chose this as her Emmy nomination episode. Mm -hmm. And it's like, she got the nomination, but uh, I just think it was a strange one for her to pick. I, I assume she picked it because of the Melfi family stuff. Right. She just had more to do more than to she chew typically on. does mm-hmm. in an episode. But I mean, to me, the therapy scenes are always going to be the strongest with her. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just think there are other episodes where her performance in the therapy just gets so much more probing and intense. Like mm-hmm. if I was her, I definitely would have submitted the finale just just for yeah. the scenes and that. They're so much more intense, yeah. in my opinion. But uh Yeah. Man, yeah, there's a lot to to take apart with this episode. Do you feel like there's anything that just doesn't work for this episode? Man, I don't know. What what came to mind for you? I think there's some weird characterizations of mental health going on here. It's just mm. kind of odd. Some of it works perfectly. The scenes with Melfi and Tony are great. The scenes where they see the family therapist that are played for laughs they're funny, but they're also kind of, they're just weird. Um, yeah, it's a little too jokey, isn't it's it? It's too jokey, Yeah, I think. I would say that's probably the weakest scene in the entire episode. I could see that. It's getting very meta there, mm-hmm. you know? It's kind of like like the other Melfi family scenes where uh, her ex-husband keeps bringing up the Italian Anti-Defamation League mm-hmm. as if, you know, David Chase saw that shit coming because they would right. dog him for the entire run of the show. Right. But uh, he's getting out ahead of it here. <laughs> it's it's pretty funny. But uh, yeah, all of those scenes feel very, very much like a, a little pointed winks to the audience. And uh, God, Melfi's son is just the worst. That kid. Yeah. I don't know what's going on with that guy. He's just in college, you know. Yeah. He's just like a film <laughs> studies major. that like it's a straight up like disease or something. Yeah, he just got a condition of, of college. He came down with the university. Yeah, exactly. He'll he'll probably work that shit out in like five to ten years. You're right. You're right. <laughs> a lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Oh, man. Yeah. It's the first uh, appearance of Agent Harris. We'll be representing the FBI a bunch. That's right. I really like that actor, too. He does a really good job of showing his character's innate decency mm-hmm. while his profession essentially allows for very little of that. He's constantly coming into people's homes and throwing their lives, you know, upside down. And uh, you just get the impression that he's uh, not entirely cool with it. That yeah. He, he has a little more sympathy than your average FBI agent would. Mm-hmm. I think that. Nice. That's- the show makes an interesting choice there because they could have made him a complete jerk, right? Like he could have been 
or a, just a stiff, just you know, a stiff someone exactly. Typical. But you, I, I found myself kind of sympathetic, like feeling, uh, you know, sympathetically towards him because he seems like a decent guy. Reminded me a lot of, um, man, what is that actor's name? I'm forgetting. I'm blinking on the name. Um, but he was in, um, yeah, it, no, it's Kyle Chandler. It's Kyle Chandler in um, Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, in Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He's almost the exact same character. Mm-hmm. He's just kind of like, oh, you know, this is a decent guy. You really can't hate him. Um, he's just doing his job. Yeah, I mean, that was uh, <laughs> that was Scorsese really stacking the deck. Oh, yes. Being like, I'm going to get the greatest TV dad of the last 15 years and make him my slightly sympathetic federal agent. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Anytime they cut to that final draft document of Christopher's script. I am so happy. Yeah. It is incredible. It's like written by a third grader man. One of my favorites is the character who is only known as Beautiful Beautiful Girl. Girl. Yes. Saying thank you with many Mm -hmm. exclamation points. Mm -hmm. You caught that too, huh? Yeah. (laughs) I'm glad you noticed it because I thought I was the only one. I was just like, who is this beautiful girl? Okay, all right. And he mentions his uh, Hollywood contact again, Amy. He brings up mm, her name this time. Mm-hmm. Will be played by uh, the lovely Alicia Witt in season two. Oh, that's right. Oh, I, I only really up some threads. bring You're up right. because Alicia Witt is uh, maybe one of the most attractive people who has ever lived. I mean, oh my God, dude. <laughs> uh, Got a crush, huh? Such a crush, dude. It's it's disgusting. <laughs> She has had a pretty interesting career. You know what her first role was? What's that? She played Paul Atreides' younger sister at the age of like nine in Dune, in David Lynch's Dune. Yeah, she was that creepy little girl with the glowing blue eyes. Oh, wow. Okay. (laughs) And she worked, uh, she was in Twin Peaks too. Uh, Lynch probably had to do a bunch of stuff. Yeah. I mean, you're dropping Lynch. We might as well talk about the dream sequence, right? Oh, we got to. Nice segue. Mm. I, I love the sequence. There's so much to take apart there with like the camera work. I love it. Just the slow motion, the dolly in on uh, Christopher and you're, he's just, it's, Oh, that first background. dolly yeah. in. Yeah, man. Phil Abraham showing mm-hmm. off and from the first shot. Yeah. The pigs behind him. And he looks sort of like, like he's lost, mm-hmm. um, but he's drinking like the coffee and he gets up and he leaves. I'm not even sure what the name of, um, what's going on there, but he's clearly like on a platform and being like pulled around yeah. um, while the camera is just kind of like uh, watching him. Yeah. He's on a dolly track on a dolly. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the sound design is really cool. Yes. Lots of weird echoes. echoes. And this is the first really successful, creepy dream sequence mm-hmm. in my opinion on the show. It's, it's so good. And then it cuts to what, like Adriana eating sausage from like the disembodied oh, yeah. hand. Mm-hmm. And then it, that like and then so she, gross in yes. its sexual imagery. It yes. just, it just makes you instantly uncomfortable. She's all in white. And yeah. then she turns around and suddenly it's she's Carmella, Carmella, which made oh, me yeah. wonder like, what's going on with that? Oh, I mean, yeah, I think, what do you that's, think that means, dude, that's his his phobia, man, yeah. that he's going to turn this like awesome, sexy girl, you know, who uh, just loves to like hang out and do drugs and bang it out with him. And next mm. thing he knows, he's going to turn around and she's going to be the nagging suburban housewife. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. that's how he sees it. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Adriana says something about that, too, where she's like, uh, uh, you know, don't want to end up like Carmela Soprano with her. That's you know, right. Stretch marks and her, you know, jewelry. And her that's bitterness. right. Yeah. Oof. So they're both afraid of that. 
yeah, everything about that sequence. And then I think what at the end it's uh Kohler just standing in front of him, dead. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that first shot of uh email through the window, through the glass, mm-hmm. where he's got that really creepy, like corpse pallor lighting mm-hmm. on him. Very effective. Oh, this man. is one of the first shows I think that really used dreams as a way to get inside like characters' psyches and do it consistently. Yeah, it, it really opens up the aesthetics of the show mm-hmm. to be able to add in this surrealism, this really like heavy symbolism that can just rest atop everything else. But because it's in a dream, it feels totally appropriate. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so many shows after this took that concept and just ran with it, either with dreams or with like ghosts appearing. Mm-hmm. There's always a way that they could sort of branch out their cinematic language while mm-hmm. still being a realistic drama. We we talked about the the scene in the car quite a bit. I, yeah. I it's a wonderful scene. Uh, I think you know Gandolfini and Imperioli both just knock it out of the park in that scene. Yeah. But something else I was struck by, man, is so much of the time now. I mean, God, nine times out of ten, a scene like that today would be shot on a green screen. And you can totally mm. tell these car scenes are always so boring now. Mm-hmm. They are so hermetic. And you look at this one and you see the camera jostling slightly yeah. as the car goes over bumps. And you can tell that, you know, you can tell that Chris is actually driving the right. car. There's just something about his performance that's different because he's actually operating the, the motor vehicle. Right. Whereas in these other scenes, it's like the actor will be like cheating out and like not looking through the windshield at all, just yeah. like staring at the acting I hate the that Do you, I hate that in TV shows when you it's see someone worst. who's driving and they're looking yeah. at the person in the passenger seat for like five to ten seconds not watching the road and these scenes are just so boring as a result yeah. it's like it it pulls all of the life out of them and you're this really nice sunset behind Imperioli too they uh they pick their take to hit like right at golden hour and yeah. uh yeah i mean just that little bit of extra effort too uh it, you know is indicative of the whole show's run sure and it's quality for sure but uh yeah just really refreshing to see that <laughs> to see people actually filming in a car oh her standards have become so low <laughs> how about you man anything else you uh you clocked you said that your favorite scene is the one in the bakery you already oh, got yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. No so I, question. Yeah. Man. So it's... I it's a good one. It's yeah, I would say, yeah, it's the highlight of the episode. It's almost the the classic Christopher scene mm-hmm. just by itself. I'm thinking that my favorite scene in this episode is the Where's My Ark uh scene. Yeah. And it's yeah, between Polly and Christopher. Because I think it says so much about both of their characters, where they're at in their lives, and just the acting. The performance is given by both uh, actors, I think, is is fantastic. So I think, yeah, that's that's my favorite scene in this episode. Polly just looking like a stone gangster mm-hmm. in that suit. And uh, they did an, a pretty shallow lens on Chrissy so that you're really just getting his face in focus. Mm-hmm. And uh, Imperial Lee's doing a lot, uh, really like deftly underplaying a lot of emotion. Yeah. But you just see how upset he really right is. Up, yeah, and it, I yeah. don't think you really get a sense of how upset he is right up until the very end where he's like asking Polly, like, where's my arc? And he kind of starts to shake towards mm-hmm. the end. Like he becomes more agitated, um, more upset. And yeah, the emotion comes through um, much more intensely um, right before, you know, they cut to a big pussy who was talking about, you know, why would you care about any of this stuff? It's such a good moment. 
Love it. Yeah, he's he's a wonderful actor, man. He really pulled so much emotional depth and richness out of a character who uh, is very big, who has big bombastic scenes. And another actor could have just played those and been very effective. Mm-hmm. But he also underplays so much more that really brings that character to a different level. Yeah. How much porn do you think AJ has on his computer? Dude, he has so much porn on his computer. He doesn't even have control over what the home screen is when he boots up the internet. You know what I'm fucking saying, man? It's <laughs> it's just like a, a spyware page now. As soon as he opens Internet Explorer, like the porn has just infested itself completely. Man, yeah. he hops to it so quickly Ooh. when Meadow was like, hey, you might want to make sure the feds don't know how much porn you got downloaded <laughs> on your computer. Meadow's a sharp one, man. She knows what's going on. (laughs) What a great care. Both of the, that interaction is fantastic. Love it. Yeah. And in contrast with last week, it's like we get the perfect amount of AJ here. Mm -hmm. He's so good at the dinner table too. When Meadow's going on about, oh, who invented the mafia? And he's Mm -hmm. like, can you just shut the fuck up about Mm -hmm. it? It's it's great line reading. Uh, They're both awesome. I love the victim complex too, especially from Tony, who's like, the way these people act, you would think there never was a Michelangelo. Right, right. It's like, no, come on, man. No one's saying that. Come on, man. Come uh, on. He shares those same grievances that Polly does about uh, coffee and espresso. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Always with the rape of the culture. Yeah, I love that line so much. <laughs> that line is beautiful. It's <laughs> such a classic line, man. You know, Ugh. even in that early episode, they did so much to establish the crew. Yeah. That already at this point, I mean, we feel like we've known these guys forever. Mm-hmm. You know, we're only eight episodes in, mm-hmm. and it feels like we've had a whole series worth of history with a lot of these guys. Yeah. You know? Yep. Really impressive. So I give Melfi a B in this episode. She does some good work. And in fact, if I'm actually going to just grade her on her therapy, yeah. her performances in therapy, I would actually say maybe she gets an A. So yeah, but a. Uh, at the dinner table, though, man, yeah, I know. she was getting awfully close to I some uh, dual relationships. She, she shit, was. Right? And there's like some HIPAA violations that are definitely Ooh. about to be breached. But... It, I feel like you're ready to pull out one of those little notebooks. Like, uh, you're just <laughs> ready to write Melfi a ticket. Mm-hmm. This is the fine. I, <laughs> no one, I don't know. No, man, go off, man. <sighs> I, I'm just not sure how frequently other people in that profession are discussing the identities, the actual identities of their patients. And then once again, Tony storms out of a session with her yeah. and doesn't even show up the next week. Yeah, that's and she's ugly. Still, she's still, still there. Keeping him on. Still Ugh. there. It's so yeah. ugly. I felt for her so much during that scene. We just tossing money at her and you're like, man. It's, yeah, it's gross. <sighs> it's ugly. It's really gross. <laughs> the thing that struck me about that too is he's so offended and he says, I can't believe you're shaking me down like this. Yeah. Which is exactly what he does to, to everyone. everyone else. Yep. Unbelievable. But Ugh. he's such a victim. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. I think beforehand we had asked, why does she keep him on as a client? You're saying like, hey, maybe there's some attraction there. But I think she makes it very explicit at the dinner table scene when she says, some of us aren't afraid to get our hands dirty, mm-hmm. which is she really does believe, even if this guy yells at me, if he's insulting, 
I can do the necessary work. I can be the consummate professional and really help this guy out. I can save this guy. And I think that's really like the core of who she is. Yeah, yeah. And the pattern of behavior this week, you see that she's essentially made her peace with the fact that this guy is going to just walk out of way. sessions, yep. not show up. And yeah, and she she's decided she's going to power through all of that. Yeah. Power rankings, power rankings, power rankings. Ooh, man. I don't know. Who are you thinking for this episode? I've got mine. Go you want me to it, share? Man. All right, I'll yeah, go. Yeah. All right, here we go with the power rankings. So at five... I have uh, pastries and assorted breads. <laughs> Spoil and tell, man. Spoil and tell. Uh-huh. Oh, Paulie. Paulie's so freaked out <laughs> that he might yes. mess them up. You ever had spoil and tell? I've never had them, no. Oh, they're delicious. It's mm. like a layered thing of puff pastry mm-hmm. that has like a sweet cream inside of it. Sounds yeah. delicious. Oh, You've sold me God. already. Right, right. Yeah. So pastries, pastries, dude. There we go. Oh, they're so good. We, we just don't have bakeries down here, man. Not like the Northeast. It's I'm very so sad. sorry that you, I mean, we've got yeah. some good ones where I'm at. I can't yeah. complain. We've got a good three or four. So nice. I'm, nice. I'm, I'm stocked with the breads. Yeah. But you got, do you have like a real Italian bakery though? Right, you know, no. can you go in and get Schfoyatel? No, I don't fucking no. think so. <laughs> All right. So at four, I've got Polly. Yeah. Three, I've got Tony. Two, I've got Christopher for obvious reasons. Yeah. Uh, the performance is great. Imperioli really shines. And at one, again, because she's moving the plot forward, she always keeps one in the chamber. We got Livia. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. I love your ranking, starting with the pastries. I guess for me, number five. Oh, no. Number five. What is his name? The guy who runs the phones in the Bada Bing. Oh my God. Oh God. His name is Georgie. Georgie is my number five. <laughs> okay. Why? Because Christopher is told to go help Georgie sweep for bugs in the bathroom. And that is mm. some Charlie work, dude. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Georgie is getting assigned this on the regular, mm-hmm. he has got to be the bottom rung, man. That's right. That's right. Yeah, you make a good point. And he goes from that to the uh, the more mafia-esque Charlie work of digging up, up a body. A decomposed body. Yeah. Oof. And then vomiting all over himself afterward. Mm-hmm. So right. he'll, be, he'll be my number five. Okay. Number four will be Final Draft because uh, apparently that program can just write your screenplay for you, as oh, Christopher thinks. You poor know? Christopher. He thought it was going to make yeah, up the thing for him. Gosh. This program will just make up most of the story for me. You I know. know? <laughs> I'm going to put Christopher at number three. I think okay. two is a good ranking, too. I think, in reality, his ranking is bouncing all over the place throughout yeah. this episode. Mm-hmm. He's he's going from 100 to you know one and back again. But yeah, yeah we'll, we'll have him land somewhere in the middle. Uh, I'll have two be Tony. He's in control this episode. He's really running shit in the crew. Mm-hmm. And he's also getting out ahead of the FBI and mm-hmm. taking control of all that shit. He's handling you know, business. Getting Livia out of the way so that they can stash stuff mm-hmm. in uh, in her Green Grove apartment, uh, retirement home. Mm-hmm. And uh, my number one would be Melfi. Because I think oh. Melfi in this episode just weathers every fucking storm. She puts up with... Her goddamn annoying ex-husband who yeah. she keeps. She has him so perfectly 
at a distance, you know? Oof. She can just laugh at all of his foibles, yeah. you know? It's great. Yeah, That's she really one. emasculates him there where she's like, oh, your Calabrese is showing. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, damn, man, you are. Oh. I like that, though. I like that about the character. It's like as soon as she steps out of the office, she's got some daggers, right? Oh, and she, but she's so funny with them. Exactly. Too, you know? mm-hmm. and that laugh of hers. You, you don't even feel bad about it, man. No, not at all. Yeah she's so great man out of anyone on this show she's a character i would actually want to hang out with in real life everyone else that's like oh they are so fun to watch but goddamn like (laughs) keep me the fuck away from these people (laughs) but her no way she'd be great is it time for name that episode oh yeah yeah i guess so we got to go back to three man we did two last week oh my god i'm just i've been feeling whining just undernourished oh man ever since i was like man i just feel like something's missing you know Whatever. didn't get that third episode oh bro. god it just felt wrong man i don't want to hear anything else from you <laughs> that's fine you won't as, as long as you whining. give me three as mm-hmm. long as you give me three okay yeah. bubbles all right bubbles <laughs> just jonesing for that third <laughs> you that know third it. hit man that's fiending <laughs> all right here we go In the sixth episode of the second season of The X-Files, we meet Dana Scully's mom, who tells Mulder that she recently had a dream that Scully had been kidnapped. Little did she know she was right. Okay. uh, I believe this is the episode Ascension. Boom. You got it. Good job, man. Yes. Oh, you had me worried for a second there. Yes. That's a good one. Ascension to one breath. This is the immediate follow-up to uh, Dwayne, Dwayne Barry. Barry. Yes. Such a great episode. Mm-hmm. The, the hostage situation. Yeah. The start of the Scully getting kidnapped dark. Yep. Due to her Jillian Anderson's pregnancy. I believe this is the first episode with uh, with Alex Krychek, too. Really? A fantastic, slimy villain character. Mm-hmm. So good. It's funny. I think that this might be another one of TV's shows that starts doing mini arcs. Mm-hmm. They're not as long, say, as like an entire season, um, but yeah. it also carried through and started the idea of like doing small three to four episode mini arcs. Um, so I think we should give the X-Files some love for that. Oh, yeah. The X-Files, man, was so crucial in just the development of TV Yeah, in terms of production values, in terms of being more cinematic. You know, they were drafting off Twin Peaks to an extent, but yeah. uh, they they really broadened it out to being this like giant canvas procedural that also had a mythology that also had these mini arcs. They, they showed that was possible within a show that still had a week to week formula. I mean, the difference between the X-Files and something like the Sopranos though, is like the X-Files, they still had to slap to be continued on the end of every continuing episode. They had to really, they had to really signal ahead of time that Mm -hmm. that's what you were getting here. (laughs) And uh, they had to end it on a real cliffhanger, you know, Mm -hmm. someone about to pull the trigger or spaceship flying away with some uh, abductees you know it was, it was major shit absolutely it's not like we're gonna have the cliffhanger just be uh, a couple characters sitting down and eating some pasta you right. know right. that's a sopranos cliffhanger yeah, it's exactly. like Man, just gonna tension happen? building across the dining room table mm-hmm. you know uh, number two yeah yeah all right here we go tim van patten also directed this season five episode of the sopranos in which matthew weiner 
makes a guest appearance as a lawyer slash author. I could actually say he's an author, uh, Manny Safier. Believe it or not, I do not remember Matthew Weiner's cameo appearance. Oh, on yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah. Any other context about what happens in this, in this episode? I believe this is also the episode where Tony decides that he's going to try and go back to therapy. Fuck. Was this episode directed by Steve Buscemi? No, Tim Van Patten, man. Tim Van Patten, right, right, right. Fuck. Oh, man. Season five. Mm-hmm. Is it the season five opener by chance? Yes, it is. Oh, cool. It's called The Two Tonys. Oh, uh, yes. Good job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> that guff saved there. Dude. Mm-hmm. I was... Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh. Stomach was churning. I was. That was a roller coaster. It really was. Me, <laughs> All right. My balls mm. were just retracting and detracting like wild, <laughs> like landing gear on a plane, man. Oh, my God. Number three? Yeah. I knew you wanted three. I knew you were going to be up for a third, so I just came prepared. It's become such an abusive relationship. <laughs> <laughs> You're just, just making me feel so guilty about asking. Asking for what's mine, man. Come on, bro. Why are you shaking me down? Uh, all right, here we go. So in this season one episode of The Wire, yes. the detail uses Orlando to set up an undercover operation with Kima Greggs, and it goes horribly wrong. Kima Greggs. Why I don't remember that character at all. What? How do you not remember Kima? She was an integral part of the detail, man. Oh my God. Of course, of course, of course. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes. I'm going to put you in the waiting room for that. Oh, that's awful. I know, I know. (laughs) Uh, God. Um, This is also the episode where Omar leaves town. Where Omar leaves town. Mm -hmm. Shit, man. Ah, I think you got to give me a hint. What you need it? All right, um, I do. I need another. I need a need hint about the episode hint. title. Oh my gosh! Oh, All right, tough, so it's two man. words with the wire. It always starts with the, and right. it's about. Uh, Does it always start with the? I think they almost always do. I. I they yeah, do like Seinfeld almost, rules. Yeah, huh? it may not always be two words, but it always just starts with the. Huh. So that's not really a great hint. <laughs> that's actually the opposite of a hint. It's funny uh, enough. Just obfuscating. Um, I think this is also the episode where um, Stringer Bell and Barksdale decide that they're going to go ahead and kind of like tighten up shit because they think that uh, they might be being surveilled. I'll put it that way. Mm. It's not the detail, right? Mm, no. No? Mm-mm. I remember that one. Is it the cost? Boom. Good job. Oh, shit, dude. <laughs> oh, oh, look at the man. euphoria. Look at the flush of the skin. Uh, dude, so the wire's so tough like that, man. Mm-hmm. Those mm-hmm. those episode titles do not stick in the brain. That nope. was literally, those are the only two I remembered. I remembered the detail and the cost. Mm. And the wire. <laughs> I, I actually forgot that... <laughs> David Simon the wire called the wire had the audacity to name episode six of the first season of the wire, but we've already litigated that. Oh boy. So funny. Uh, Good stuff, man. <laughs> yeah. Any other uh, final <laughs> thoughts about the episode? I, I really love this episode. I think whatever identification I had with Christopher as a character that might've bled away to where I look at him almost entirely critically now, Mm -hmm. especially in his incredibly toxic 
destructive behavior toward himself and everyone around him. I still just, I, I have such a nostalgia for this episode, honestly. Mm, yeah. uh, it's really hits home that way more than any other season one episode that I just, I loved watching this one from the jump. And uh, I, uh, I love the cake song that closes it yeah. out. <laughs> I love it because it's the name, the title of the song is Frank Sinatra. And it just immediately makes you think of like, the old guard classical era of the mob, the era of Frank Sinatra being filtered and completely distorted through mm -hmm. a modern lens. Mm -hmm. You know, that song yeah. just represents that so well. Yeah. And that's that's Christopher's generation. They're Absolutely. the weird Xerox of a Xerox, you yeah. know? Lost, yeah. just completely lost. Great episode, yeah, love it. Yeah, yeah. How about you, any final thoughts? No, I think we, I think we got at everything that I thought was really important and, and notable. Um, I just really enjoyed watching it uh, for sure. All right. So next week we have Boca, which is uh, an incredibly impactful episode. Don't let your kids listen to this one. Oh boy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to get into it. This one's not for the kids. <laughs> But uh, yeah, looking forward to knocking that out. And uh, we hope you'll join us next week. Uh, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on whatever podcast app you might be using. And uh, we'll see you then. Awesome. Peace. Peace. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited-edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.